Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Luke 15, starting with verse 11. And this is the second of a two-part series, which I titled The Parables of the Lost. So last Sunday we covered the lost sheep, the lost coin, and very interesting is that three people, our church is not that big as you can see, three people came forward to receive the Lord. It's pretty awesome. You know, the Word is powerful. You know, God draws us through the Word. That's very clear. The Holy Spirit is at work in a Bible-believing church, and these are the things that happen. Um, this morning we're going to be in the parable of the prodigal son. Now even those that don't go to church or maybe not even Christian are familiar with the prodigal son. You know, there's a lot of things in Christianity over the last 2,000 years that have really worked its way into our culture, which is great, into our vernacular. I'm actually going to cover a phrase a little bit later on. But the Bible is very clear. You know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. We are all prodigals. We're born sinners. We're born into a sinful world. Our parents are sinners. Uh, you know, it's a fallen creation. I talked a little bit about that in my opening. And Jesus makes it very clear that we will not even see the kingdom of heaven. In John chapter 3, he says this, unless we're born again of the Spirit. There needs to be a spiritual rebirth. We, listen, by virtue of all of you being here, you've all been born the normal way, <laughs> physically, okay? That's a, you take simple biology courses, we get that. But Jesus said that we have to be born again spiritually. Now, does that mean that I call myself a born again Christian or I go to a church that says born again on the moniker, that's the way to go? No, it's not through a religion, it's through a relationship. So a lot of the terms that Jesus uses have used people have abused over the years. Well, that person's a hypocrite or that church, or that, forget about that. What about you? and the Lord. That's what matters. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And that's, it's that simple. So we're going to look at the prodigal son, and we're going to cover it in five parts. We're going to jump in, starting with verse 11. Then he, Jesus, said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living or wasteful living. But when he had spent it all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. He was in need. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine, to feed pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's servants have bread enough to, and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no lo longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and bring a a ring, put it on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what do these things mean? And he said to him, your brother is common because he has received him safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandments at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. So this is the parable of the prodigal son. You know, this could be named a lot of things. It could be parable of the prodigal daughter. It could be uh, the, the parable of the loving Father in heaven. Because what does Jesus do? He uses an analogy about a wayward child coming home to express God's love, forgiveness, and restoration for repentant sinners. Now, this would have struck a nerve back then, and certainly today, as loved ones, you know, they do this. Some of you in this group right now might know somebody. Maybe you were once that person. A person that has, you know, become wayward and needs to come back. How much more does God desire all of humanity, not just one kid or two kids, billions of kids, to come back to Him? He's the Father in heaven. Now, I'm going to go back and forth because there's some great principles in this parable for a situation that you might be dealing with. But let's make sure we understand something. The primary focus of this parable is for us to understand that when a, a sinner, a, a you know, person born as a sinner, that means all of us, decides to come to Christ to repent, to desire to change their life, to leave their self-directed life and start moving more towards a God-directed life. That's what this was about. But again, good tips here. Definitely good tips. So we, in the parable, we see that the father has two sons, and the younger son takes the inheritance and wastes it on debauchery. And the father in heaven has given all of humanity free will and life and allows us to do what we wish with our life. Now, it saddens him to see many, especially look at our culture, destroy their lives. But again, he's given us free will. We do what we want, right? Because true love sets a person free. True love sets a person free. And God loved us so much, not only did he set us free, but he also gave us the way of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. So if we can take this in five parts, the first part, verses 11 through 16, is number one, sinful rebellion against God. Verse 13, he wasted his possessions on prodigal living. He spent it all. He was bankrupt. And that's what a sinful lifestyle will do. 
it bankrupts us in many ways. It bankrupts us relationship-wise. It bankrupts our morals. And you know what it does? It takes our peace from us. Again, I've said this many times. Half my life I lived that life. And the other half, I've been a Christian. Have no desire to go back there. None whatsoever. And as I read the Bible, what's amazing is, you know, part of me says, Lord, I wish I would have come to you sooner. It would have changed a lot of things. I would have made better decisions. I would have hurt people less. I would have hurt myself less. But whatever, God used my foolishness to actually give me examples through the Scripture. So whenever I read the Scripture, especially something like this, I see myself as a person who didn't grow up in a Christian home, did all kinds of stuff, and, and I get flashbacks, you know what I'm saying? It's like a movie that I watched 25 years ago. And it did take away my peace, and relationships never worked for me, you know? You ever see a person destroy their lives, and you want so bad for them to change? You want so bad to help them, right? And they don't see the chains that they've placed on themselves, although they think they're free. Self can be a very hard taskmaster. You know, when we're driven by self, self, self. And the men's, um, the men's devotion Saturday was great. Uh, we talked about that, how men can be susceptible to pride and being self-driven. And, and sometimes we have to crash and burn to see that it's not all about me, you know. Verse 14 through 15, it says, There was a f- severe famine, and the prodigal was in want, or he was in need. And he was relegated to feeding pigs. Sin brings suffering. It brings humiliation. It brings shame. Let's break it down. A, the prodigal, the prodigal becomes a pig caretaker. And if Jesus, you know, Jesus would often take situations in the first century, cultures. Sometimes he'd speak about Roman culture. Sometimes he'd speak about Jewish culture. Most likely this was a, in the story. It was a Jewish boy. And pigs in the Old Testament were unclean animals. Jews who were somewhat devout would not eat pork at all. So here you have a a boy who came from a good home. Now he's relegated to feeding pigs, unclean animals. B, he was in want or need. He was hungry. He was desiring the pig food, but no one gave him anything. If you know a little bit about pigs, they'll eat anything. You know, if you're in a pig pen and you fall down and you can't get up and they're hungry... They're going to eat you. That's just pretty much it. You, you know, and there's a reason why God spoke about you know, even sea creatures, land creatures, clean and unclean. There's certain creatures in the sea that were bottom feeders that eat the dregs of the, the, the floor of the, of the seabed or what have you, and, and God says don't eat them. Well, pigs are the same way. Pigs will eat absolutely anything. They don't stop eating. I have a dog who I think she's, she's kind of gray, my dog Ellie. She reminds me of a little pig. I mean, you can drop anything, a potato chip, a green bean, and it's before you go to pick it up off the floor, she's like a vacuum cleaner. But that has nothing to do with the story this morning. (laughs) So, (laughs) just want to see if you're awake. Here's my question. Where were his partying friends? I was in the scene, you know, a few drinks, you think, hey, these are my best buds, it's going to last forever. It never does. Was it because he ran out of money? Was it because he was always buying the rounds? He's got no money. He's also got no friends at this point. Was it because he wasn't cool anymore? Tell me we can't relate the Scripture to things that happen today. Yes, we can. 
see. I can only surmise at this point, as I alluded to before, that now he's alone. Did everybody leave him? Completely alone in a crisis. Except, of course, for his pigs, his new friends. The funny thing about being alone, it gives you time to think, doesn't it? A lot of people fear being alone. A lot of people are alone and they just crave some companionship, a friend, somebody. But when the noise is abated and the distractions are not there, we can think clearly. A lot of times God speaks to us in that still, small voice when it's quiet. God's not going to shout at us. He's not going to shout above the noise and the, the boisterousness. He's not going to do it. So he's alone, which is probably not where he wanted to be, but it was probably the best place for him, right? Don't always look at your life and say, I'm in this place and it's terrible. And it's, you know, try to see what the Lord's trying to show you through that. And I want to address those starting out in life. We have the junior high in here this morning. We have the young adults. We have those that are choosing a path of life. Choose wisely. Because the world and the worldly will use you. They will seem like your best friends when everything's going great. They will manipulate you and they will discard you when you have nothing left to offer. And you know what? Listen, I'm not here to... I don't know how sometimes our culture equates fun with doing things that can destroy us. You know, even your employers, you're looking for that really good job. You know that they have groups that actually go out when you apply for the job that you really wanted and they troll your social media. They have you, they have you friend them as somebody with a fake picture because they want to see what you're saying and you will not get that job. You will not get that job if you're engaging in certain behaviors. Now, that's not the only thing. The, the higher order, the higher understanding, the higher responsibility is to God. He sees everything. He doesn't need to hire an agency. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You don't have to put a post or a picture on Snapchat. He just knows. He sees it. We should be wanting and desiring to please him. D, there was a famine of food. He also had a famine of spirituality. He comes to the point where he says, I have sinned against heaven. He says that first. He's not a dummy. He's made a lot of poor choices. His heart became corrupted, but he's not dumb. He knows what's right and what's wrong. I have sinned against heaven, and I have sinned against my Father, but heaven came first. Where are you today? I just want to encourage you. You can always come home to God. See, the problem and the lie and the things that we start to put in our minds, especially when we're away from the church and away from the Bible and prayer and Christian people, is we start to get these thoughts in our head, I'm not worth it. I'm not good enough. I let God down. God is a loving and forgiving God. If Jesus said to Peter, and Peter goes, well, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven times? Jesus says seven times 70. That's a lot. So if Jesus is telling human beings to do that, how much more does God forgive us? It doesn't mean we abuse his forgiveness, but it means that we're going to fail in life. Failure is a great teacher. It really is. E, verse 17, he says, he pretty much, he comes to himself, or we would say he came to his senses. That's our vernacular. He, he says, you know, even my dad's servants have plenty and I'm starving. I could just picture him just sitting in the pig pen. It's, and pigs are they're just so sloppy. 
You know, I've seen them. You know, I've, I, I'm an animal lover. I love pigs, too. They're cute when they're clean and small. But, uh, you know, they just make a mess. They just make mud everywhere, and they, they wallow in the mud, and they poop everywhere, and they just eat whatever. They're just gross, you know? They're not very hygienic animals. And you can just see this guy sitting in the pig pen with mud all over him, just dejected, hungering for this, the, the carob pods that they gave the pigs. Remember, pigs will eat anything. So they didn't give, the, the guy, the owner doesn't give them filet mignon. He gives them scraps because they'll eat it. And he's sitting there and he's in want. And you know what? Sometimes we have to experience want, need, rock bottom, so to speak, to see that God is a better alternative than the world. Sometimes we need a comparison. Remember, this boy had a good father. He was from a good family. He had everything he could possibly want. And he lusted for the wild side. Then he was sitting in the pig pen and thinking, all right, now I can really make this comparison. And you know what? People have to do that too. Because you know what? You go out into the world, it's devoid of fulfillment. You're not going to get fulfilled. But people do. Oh, it's the lights and the music. and I could be on American Idol and I could do this and I could do that. You could. But you walk away from God and eventually that will leave you empty as well. Satan is very good at that. He's very good at getting you excited for something new and bringing you up so he can push you down. And that's what happens when we go out into the world. I'll read verse 17 through 21 again, and it says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. So two out of five is repentance. You know what's funny? I've seen this a lot. You know, sometimes I watch the news. I don't watch too much of it because I get aggravated, but I just want to know what's going on in the world. And I've seen journalists and commentators lately. It's so weird. And they talk about a situation, and this is, again, it's our vernacular. It's what we use in our culture. And they say, and it's a real come-to-Jesus moment. And I'm like, okay, I was half asleep, and now I'm awake. What are you talking about? He said Jesus. I mean, he didn't say it like, oh, I worship Jesus. But it's kind of funny that even in our words, in our culture, and journalists, come-to-Jesus moment, come-to-Jesus moment. How true. You know, this is a come-to-Jesus moment. The proverbial light bulb goes on. Let me, let me switch to actual prodigals. And some of these things are going to be hard to say, but we make the mistake sometimes when we interfere, when we just throw money at the situation, when we enable. That's a big word that we use today, enabling, coddling. And sometimes we just delay the process. Some like the dysfunctional lifestyle, and if you try to pull them out too soon, they're not going to listen to you. It's like they need to cook a little longer. You know, they're not in the bake cycle long enough. Others come to their senses without hitting the proverbial rock bottom. Others yet want to see how low that they can go before they have an epiphany. 
you know, if we keep enabling, sometimes a prodigal never comes to their senses. There's a great article, and I, I'd encourage you to look at it. You go on the internet afterwards. John Piper, Bible teacher, book writer, good father. He, had a, he has a son, Abraham, and Abraham became a prodigal. And some of you might have heard about this. And this was a shock. It was sent shock waves through the Piper family and what do we do? And they eventually kicked him out of the house. He was a young adult and he did his thing. And truthfully, he did come back. And he writes, in, and I'm saying this is not gossip because he wrote an open letter to everyone, to his parents, to the church, to the world. And this, this went on for a while. He comes back, just like the story. And he writes an open letter and he said to his parents, you know what, it wasn't you. You loved me, you cared for me, you set an example of Christianity in the home, it was me. And he also said to his parents in this open letter, you kicked me out of the house, and if you didn't, I wouldn't have respected you. You did what the Bible told you to do. And just like the kid in the story, he eventually comes to his senses and comes back. So I just want to encourage you, if you are a, you know, you're really living Christianity in the home and you have a prodigal, it may not be you. You know, now it doesn't mean on the other extreme that we should spoil our kids and do what the culture teaches because probably you're going to teach them to go the wrong direction. You know, be their friends. No, be their parents. Be their parents. But this is a great letter. Again, Abraham Piper, I encourage you to read it. The prodigal here in this story was truly repentant and he had a desire to change. Well, David Guzik, who's a, I, I like his Bible commentaries, he says this, quote, about the prodigal son. He didn't join a self-help group. He didn't seek to repair his inner child. He didn't blame his friends. He didn't blame his boss. He didn't blame the pigs. He went back to his father, end quote. And I would add that the sinner will try many things to repair their situation. Many things. But they need to go back to their father. Now, don't get me wrong. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There's a lot of good counseling out there. And there's counseling places everywhere. Unfortunately, you have to do your homework to find good counsel. Same thing with rehabs. A lot of rehabs for all kinds of sins and problems and whatever. It's a sex issue, it's drugs, it's alcohol, it's gambling, whatever. Everywhere. And some are on the cycle of the rehabs and the counseling. But what they need to do is they need to go back to their father. You see? You can be on the spin cycle. And you could, you could get good worldly counsel. It's a lot harder to do and almost impossible if you don't come back to the Father. Because there's an element, there's a root that's not addressed, and the root is a spirituality. It's a spiritual root. That has to be addressed. And I, I don't say this to be brash, and sometimes I find myself against the establishment and the culture and what they're teaching, and I'm saying, listen, if Christ is not a part of it, not this nebulous God or this little G or this whatever you want to worship, it's got to be Christ. That's where the true healing is going to come from. You know? So it's something to take a look at. Verse 17, the prodigal said, My father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare. The realization of the goodness of God. And some have to experience the dumpster or the pig pen or whatever you want to call it, the alternative to God before they can make that comparison. It took a tragedy to get the boy's attention. He had to look in the proverbial mirror and see what he was doing with his life. He made a mess of his life. 
And I just want to encourage you this morning, you might say, well, I think I have too. Well, I did too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's okay. But what's really important is what do you do from this point? Do we double down on stupid? Or do we try the humility route? God is so awesome. He could be your last choice and he'll still accept you with open arms. Where do you get that? People aren't like that. They get offended. God's like, listen, just come to me. Come to me. But be careful that you don't continue on that cycle and end up in a place or death. So I made a mess in my life. All right, so what are you going to do? Look up. You know, I'm telling you that he's going to forgive you. I'm telling you what the Bible says. It's your choice. He's gracious. He's forgiving. He can bring new life to a situation. And like I prayed this morning, I don't like winter. As I get older, I'm getting tired of shoveling snow. I hate snow. <laughs> it's so pretty, but it, in my mind, it means difficult things. And I, my wife and I fancied moving somewhere where there is no winter. But I have to say, one thing I love about this area is in the springtime, we get excited. My wife is a master gardener. She's always planting. And you know what's amazing? Even the birds, they eat stuff. They eat seeds. I don't mean to be gross, but they fly around and they defecate wherever they want. And sometimes you see something growing. How the heck did that get there? It had to be one of the birds. We have all these birdhouses. But it's amazing how this time of year, there's new life. The, the knockout roses on the church are starting to beautiful. You know, the dogwood trees. I, you know, I just become like a nature buff as I get older. The same way God can bring new life in the springtime, aren't you much more important than those bushes? So I just want to encourage you with that. He can take whatever's happened in your life and he can bring new life into it. Verse 18 and 19. Let's look at the son's words. He even rehearses what he's going to say. This is amazing. The intricacies of the scripture and the parables, I just love the way the Lord does this. You know, he just, he, talk, he talks to himself. Well, I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to my father and this is what I'm going to say. He rehearses what he's going to say. He's like, Father, make me like one of your servants. You know, not a family member. And his attitude was not entitled. And, and the lost sinner who comes to God doesn't say, well, God, you owe me. Because we live in an entitlement generation. I say culture. I don't want to pick on the young people because it's affecting older people too. Like, I deserve or I'm owed. or That doesn't work with God. I just want you to know that. We need to see as sinners our own unworthiness. That at the end when we die, that we, we just don't barge into heaven's gates and say, I'm here, it's me, we're good. It doesn't work like that. The sinner is unworthy, but the Father is gracious, He's forgiving, and He's loving. And you know what He does? The Father in the story, again, I'm going back and forth here. He sees His Son afar off, and he has com He's immediately moved with compassion. His Son probably doesn't look well. And I know I'm, I'm embellishing a little bit. He sees his son, his, his son, probably the clothes that he used to wear are tattered. He probably got real skinny from not eating. He's probably got filth all over him from being in the pig pen. The father sees him and has compassion. My son, he's not well. And if you understand Middle Eastern culture, the patriarch, the father figure, would not indignify himself by running after the son the son would come to him so jesus actually takes the culture and turns it on its ear to try to show us how amazingly compassionate our father in heaven is and he runs and he falls on him and he kisses him amazing stuff here 
He doesn't chastise him. He doesn't wave his finger in his face. He receives him back. He knows why his son is back. But understand this. The father also didn't cross the line and cheapen himself. You know, he didn't throw money at the situation. When the son's debit card ran out, no more alcohol and prostitutes, he says, oh, let me replenish your debit card. That's called enabling. He didn't do any of that. But he waited, and he waited, and he waited. And he still scanned the horizon every day for his son. You know what? God does that with lost sinners. That's how much he loves us. Well, so I'm here to break down the barriers of anything you've heard that presents God as a cruel, uh, over-authoritarian, demeaning father figure. He's not. He's a loving father. There's all kinds of teachings out there, and some of them are just garbage. Our God is a God of love. He is love. Verses 22, let's look at the blessings now. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. You know, he cuts off his son. I don't know if you realize that. He doesn't let him finish his, his statement. He already knows the boy's heart. He says to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Three out of five is forgiveness and restoration. The father does a few things and there's a great significance to it. He kisses his son. Obviously an expression of love. I, I, I love you. I love you. That's never changed. All those years or months that you were away, I still loved you. He kisses him. He puts on a robe and shoes on his feet. That's a picture of royalty. The Bible says in Revelation that we're a, a kingdom of priests. You know, that when we come to Christ, that we have this special honor now. We're, we're in this royalty of God's family. We're adopted into his family. And the ring would be a ring with like a, a family crest on it. You know, you go out to the market, they'd see that crest. Oh, I know your dad. Oh, I know where you live. You know, oh, your father is very well known here. So he puts this ring on that has the family crest, the signet, so to speak. It's a picture of ownership. He is in that family. The feast, which is communion, eating with another person. Today, we again, I, I think it's, it's interesting. They have a lot in Pennsylvania. You go to these places and you're literally at the same table with strangers, dipping in the same food, grabbing from the chicken, and, you know, trying to be polite as best we can. But there, back in that culture, you didn't eat with somebody unless you felt one with them. Right? So it's very different than American culture. All these things. Now, let's make this clear. The father was not rewarding sinful behavior. You know what's funny? Sin has its own consequences. You know, sometimes a person goes into a sinful situation or a sinful time, and you don't, what do you, you don't have to say anything. They just reap the consequences of that sin. You know, what do we do? Just put more burdens on them when they're trying to come back and they're looking for forgiveness? But they have to be repented. There has to be a change. He was dead... But he's now alive. I want to read to you 2 Corinthians 5.17. Great portion of scripture, and really meditate on this, about how God can do a new work in us. This is the springtime. Keep, keep that in mind. It's the Sunday, Pastor Joe was talking. Just When you look at the flowers, think of this message. Because there's so many allusions to 
the beauty and the new life that God brings. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, I just really feel like I need to say this because people come forward to receive the Lord and they may go home and you're going to be tested by Satan. He doesn't want you to be a Christian. And people are going to test you and you're going to fail. Can I tell you something? I still fail. I have not achieved perfection and never will on this side of eternity. And new believers need to understand that because they're tempted to give up. Well, maybe, maybe God didn't Maybe I, that was me. Maybe God didn't really know. He did. Give yourself some slack. You know what I'm saying? It's going to take time. The new creation process is just that. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And the truth is, we are all dead before we come to Christ. We're dead spiritually. Verse 25 Last few verses for this morning. It says, Now his older son was in the field. Remember, the father had two sons. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry, and he would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, These many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured, remember that's his brother, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Four. Here's the difficult part. Dealing with others aside from God. God forgives. God restores. And you may have people in your life that for years want to hold you in the place that you were before you came to Christ. Want to hold you down. Associates, frenemies. I love that word. I don't know if it's in the dictionary yet, but it's definitely in our culture. Why do we have frenemies? Friends that want to hold us down. Friends that want to tempt us. Friends that want to... You guys know what I'm talking about. Frenemies, okay? So, okay, in this case it was his brother, but there's something more to this. If I go back to verses 1 and 2, which we covered last Sunday, what precipitated the Lord responding to the religious leaders with these incredibly trenchant parables? Let's look. So verse 15, or chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Remember, this is before Jesus starts letting out this barrage of parables to make a point. What happened? Context. It says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. All the, not my words, what they would consider the dregs of society. And the Pharisees, these are the religious people, the Pharisees and scribes murmured saying, This man, meaning Jesus, receives or welcomes sinners and eats with them. Remember what I talked about, about eating. Jesus is eating. He's bonding with these people. How could he be a prophet? How could he be the Messiah? These people are awful. So Jesus tells them that God loves repentant sinners. 
That's, what, that's what the, how the whole thing starts. And the older son is a picture of the religious establishment at the time. It was, it was elite, it was political, it was corrupt, it was hypocritical. And sometimes we see that today. There was no love, there was no joy, there was no compassion. The older brother, who was a picture of the religious system at the time, said, this son of yours. He didn't say my brother. Look at the wording. The older son says to his father, has a little bit of a tood with dad, okay? He goes, I was always with you. I never transgressed. You never gave me. The proud and the self-righteous feel like they deserve more. Right? They deserve more. And that they don't belong on the same level with their understanding of the dregs of society that come to Jesus. A cold, callous heart. May we never become that. I've seen people come to, sadly enough, not a lot, come to Christianity and become legalistic, become like Pharisees. Have this horrible attitude towards new people that... It's like, you, you didn't come out of the womb a Christian. You know, I knew you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, just like the person and you work with a coworker, they become, they get a promotion and they just become all full of themselves. People are weird. They do weird things. So the older brother, he won't join the celebration. And the religious people at the time that Jesus was on the earth they didn't want to join the celebration either. They didn't want to see the tax collector come to Christ. They didn't want to see the harlots. and you Because know, who would they point fingers at if everybody got better? You know what I'm saying? Right? And it's this thing. But God, in God's heart, no one is too lost to be saved. But God also isn't going to force a relationship on us. It's up to you. You want to come? Or do you want to stay where you are? God allows you with your free will to do either. But he's already done his part. He sent his son to die for our sins. And when we really, even as a pastor, I don't think I completely understand that. And I mean, I don't understand the depth of what Christ did to die for my sins. Forget about all yours. Okay? I don't think I completely get it. And I think when I step into eternity, I will. But I do my best. Right? Well, last Sunday we covered the first half of the chapter. And we read that heaven rejoices when a lost sinner comes home. I'm going to tell you this, that I know I speak for the other pastors and elders and wives and staff and people in ministry, that probably the most exciting thing for us to see is somebody truly give their heart to Jesus Christ. Truly make a decision from this point, I'm going to follow the Lord. And probably the saddest thing that we have to see in, in ministry is those that fall away, walk away, get pulled away, get tempted, a trial comes. It's amazing. And they're gone. Disappeared. That's probably one of the saddest things. So there's a lot of highs and lows in ministry. And you know what it has to do with? People. God loves people. Verse 24 and 32, the father says twice in this parable, my son was dead and he's alive again. He's lost and now he's found. The fifth out of five is he was born again of the Spirit of God. Or, you know, here's the thing. We could either be born once and die twice or be born twice and die once. And I'll explain what that means. Okay, you're all here, so you qualify for everybody has been born once. Okay, we got that. Um, those that don't trust in Christ as their Savior will die twice. They'll die physically and they'll die spiritually. 
and they'll spend eternity in judgment. Or we can be born twice and die once. Being born physically, which everybody qualifies for, and also many in this church have also been born again of the Spirit. You've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You've been born twice. But you'll die once. And you'll only die physically. The body that sheds. And as we get older, I think I'm kind of in the middle. I remember what it was like to be 25. I still do things. I think I'm 25. And the next day I wake up and my body tells me, you're not 25. (laughs) Okay? That funny, James? You like that? (laughs) But... So I'm kind of in that middle road, and I get it. I understand the aging process, a lot more grays that are coming out, and a lot of issues with the aging body. But the cool thing is, as you get older, you really appreciate the part of only dying once. You shed this body, you go to be with God, and in a future dispensation, he gives us another body, a spiritual body that lasts forever. It doesn't ache, doesn't cause problems, don't get cancer, and you don't die. So... It's, it's, it's your choice. I know I've been born twice, so I'm only going to die once. And if the Lord comes back soon, I won't die at all. That's another subject for another time. How many of you are going to continue to be in the world and let the world use you and abuse you? you know, what, what chance has God on now? Is he on the, is he on the 10th chance? Or the 10th you know, on the list or the 20th? Just put him to the front of the line. This is the message for it. What's it going to take for you to be convinced that God loves you? This is a huge parable. The Lord spent a lot of time on this. To respond to God's love. Yes, the Lord calls us, but we also must receive up that invitation. The Bible is very clear about that. I want to read uh, just a few verses in John 10. John 10, 14 through 16. Jesus says, And he likens himself as a shepherd calling out to people who are like sheep. John 10, 14 through 16. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep... I have which are not of this fold, them I must also bring. And they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. I just want to do you a quick analogy, and I did a lot of study of shepherding and sheep. And, you know, in some areas, even today in the Middle East, where for security reasons, for economy reasons, the shepherds at night put all their sheep in one pen. And sometimes the shepherds will rotate guarding that pen pretty interesting fascinating shepherding and when the morning comes all three of the shepherds come and they stand like 20 feet from each other and they have a certain call and all the sheep hundred sheep you know they're all bleeding and coming out and they all go to that one shepherd that they recognize his voice fascinating you'll you can see a hundred sheep come out and they all they start breaking off As dumb as sheep are, they know the voice of their shepherd. And when it's all done, before they're ready to go out into pasture, each shepherd has his perfect amount of sheep that are his. I have to do this because we're in... Some some of you have never even seen a sheep before. We're in New Jersey. I get it. So it's my job to bring us up to speed. 
But Jesus says, they'll know my voice. And we know his voice as people. We know that when we read the scripture, we know if it's talking about us. I continue, verse 27 through 30. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand, the assurance of salvation. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Jesus says it a few times. He also says in John 10.10, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. God doesn't want us to come to Him and then sit around and mope. And, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. That's not what he's looking for. He wants us to have an abundant life. He wants to fill us with joy. And we've covered this before. My question to you is, do you hear his voice calling you from this parable, from the scripture? You may say to yourself, you know what? I came here to hear about the prodigal son. Now I'm really uncomfortable because I really feel that this is about me. Don't fight it. The Lord's calling you. And you could either respond to his voice or you could just stay there and walk out those doors. It's not often that we cover something like this, maybe once a year or so. So if you're here and you're, you're, the Lord is working in your heart, don't fight it. What are you waiting for? Come home to the Lord. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.